Hi, this is Cliff Kriego for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. This is another little dialogue tape I'd like to do before heading out for a day or two down to the office for provisions and repairs. In the background, we hear... Um, hydrocarbon man going at it with a duo of two uh, chainsaws. Let's see if we can tune in here. So it's still early in the morning and there's an official uh, campground just uh, a little bit north of where we're sitting with our talking circle here. <laughs> And uh, evidently some campers need some fuel wood, so they're really going at it. But we'll let that be as it may. What I wanted to briefly uh, throw into the circle is a general problem of our relationship to the land, both individually and collectively and uh, how that uh, surfaces here out in the Pacific Northwest, specifically Northeast Oregon, which for European and Australian listeners and is pretty far out there. This is a very uh, sparsely inhabited area of the Pacific Northwest. Far more trucks and ATVs and chainsaws and cows and horses and uh, people. And it's a magnificent morning. Another, the fourth uh, uh, dry, cold front, low pressure fire wind of the season. This one we've named uh, Donald. I'm naming them as hurricanes so I can keep track of them. They started on the 24th of May there's something to watch with climate crisis. But that's not what we wanted to talk about specifically, the relationship to the land. And here there are two themes uh, which are a part of general uh, uh, consciousness that are very much uh, alive and active in a formative way. Uh, I'll just spit them out there. Like if you go in to get a bag of potato chips, <laughs> That's my proverbial bag of potato chips somewhere. You'll hear people uh, talking about, uh, it's just in the streets, it's in the air, that the government has no right to, to own land. And that's based on uh, a reading of the Constitution. The second, uh, you could call them memes, although I think a better word is thought form. That's what they actually are. It's a movement of energy. That's how I sense and see it and feel it thought forms. So you can tune in and tune out. But if you're not aware of the thought form, it just takes you over. It's like a colonial uh, form, a very subtle form of uh, violence. So we have the meme, the thought form of the federal government, to be specific, has no right to own land. And second up is that the widespread uh, cattle grazing, which takes place here from canyon bottom almost to mountain top. I'll come back to that. 
is uh, helpful in preventing the now um, pandemic uh, horrendous uh, wildfires we've been having. So the more grazing, the less power. That, that's the idea. We'll call it uh, a theory. Well, these two ideas, ways of looking, there's absolutely uh, nothing wrong in having ideas and theories and ways of looking. Uh, but there's something, and that's really my theme in relationship with the land. Well, how do we talk about these things? Well, where do you start from? I think a good place is that you say the geometry of life is not two guns pointed at each other or two chainsaws competing with how quickly they can cut down the forest around us. It's a circle. So that sounds very simple, and it is, but for me, that's uh, truth to live by, in a way. That out here, it's not just that new expression, circular economy, which is very good. We'll be talking about that in the future more. But it really is a circle of life. And that we're all brothers and sisters. You and I. Brother, son, sister, moon. So that is the circle I have in mind when I'm speaking about democracy and rights and freedom. And I refuse to abandon that circle without being dogmatic. It's just, it needs to be protected. So when you go down into canyon country, uh, that model, of course, you're back into the uh, geometry of life is two guns pointed at each other. That's what we've become. In a very simple but, I think, clear view, that's why all discussion, not just political discussion, has become worldwide as a pandemic so confused and polarized or polarized in a confusing way. So you could take that idea and apply it to many areas. Well, we're sticking with the relationship to the land. And now we're talking about talking. How do we talk to each other in a democracy? Well, I'm saying that um, uh, we need a new language and a new spirit. And it's the spirit of dialogue, but not in the trivial sense. It's dialogue um, that um, requires a kind of seriousness that we don't hold on to anything. That you're willing to die, basically, to all thoughts, all beliefs, everything you think is precious. Everything. So we check those in at the door when we enter the dialogue circle. So it's honest, open, and naked. And that's democracy. If we don't have that, then we have an basically a diversionary entertainment democracy with no truth. That's basically what we have now.
So there are things in a negative way that we can look out for in that circle. One little saying I find helpful also for myself is that conclusions fight, questions ask. That's only seven steps. Conclusions fight, questions ask. Now we're suggesting the dialogue um, has no conclusions. And if they are, they're like a good mountaineer. When he or she is up there trying to cross a pass, it's provisional. You think you can get across, but you're not sure. And so the only way to find out is to actually do it. And if you're good, you're willing to drop it in an instant and change course. So conclusions fight, questions ask. So we're only asking questions. Now what we notice when the geometry of life is two guns or chainsaws pointed at each other is that uh, we have something I formally call, uh, see we needed a new language here, conclusionary rhetoric, which is the air is just filled as a thought form. Again, you can take that metaphorically as a meme, but I take it uh, quite uh, literally, thought form is a form of energy that's highly uh, divisive. It's like a pollu pollution in uh, clear flowing water. Conclusionary rhetoric. Now, just observe that the next time you go to buy your proverbial bag of potato chips. All we're doing, basically, is spitting conclusions. I call it barbed wire brain at each other, just like a six-shooter. And it feels good. There is an actual hormonal release. It's always related to uh, sexual hormones, in a way that uh, a hormonal release of a good feeling when you've defeated that other guy getting his potato chips and beer. He says, well, the federal government's got no damn right to own land. And so there be the Bundy boys out there, armed to the teeth, and go in and take over the mile year. And that makes you feel good, you see. Because that thought form is given tremendous energy Ah, the damn feds, get them out of here. Uh, there are many things which are not complicated involved there. And if there's no clarity, like I very much take issue with public broadcasting, they cause a tremendous amount of subtle violence of which they're uh, by and large ignorant. It's not just equal time for the liar, but they uh, function by the model uh, the geometry of life is two guns pointed at each other. So they put the microphone over uh, to the Bundys, and then they put the microphone over to somebody, a BLM person, and then let them shoot at each other. <laughs> and may the best man or woman win. Well, that's not only utterly worthless, because it does not bring us closer to truth. It tremendously amplifies the violence. in a subtle way. I mean, you're not actually putting bullets in the six-shooter, but you're giving them voice. 
And that's exactly what they want for their violence. Now, what are they coming with? So let's look at the first issue, relationship with the land. The federal government has no right. This is an argument. So you would expect this to be defended in a court of law. That's the spirit of even for someone who's not schooled in that tradition. That's how they talk. And so if you don't see it, that means, because conclusionary rhetoric always assumes, well, if you don't see it, you stupid, you know what, you're, it's only because of your ignorance. It's a very aggressive way. Everything about it is covered with barbed wire. You're either with us or against us. That's the geometry of life is two six-shooters pointed at each other. But out here we're saying in the circle that has no meaning. You allow it to play out, the part of freedom of speech. We'll come back to freedom in a second. But it, get, it receives no energy because you see instantly in the circle how destructive and meaningless it is. Because why? Conclusions are always violent. When I hold desperately, even to a scientific conclusion, look what happened with gravity. Here comes Einstein, and we have a totally different way of looking at gravity. And most assuredly, you can do the same thing with Einstein. It's a very limited way of looking at energy, I think just given the breadth and width and magnificence of the cosmos. The speed of light and time, in my view, cannot be primary and come to any sort of understanding of the immensity of the cosmos. So that can become a destructive conclusion, right? The real scientist is the one who questions everything, even if they've spent 30 years trying to understand relativity will suddenly be hit by the proverbial bolt of insight. Uh-huh. Energy has nothing to do with time, somehow. Now that's just to lighten up the circle. And now back to the barbed wire brain. I'm not being derogatory. I'm just reflecting the energy back at itself in refusing to enter a false circle that's not being dogmatic. It's saying, uh, it's being serious, I'm just thinking out loud, about the implications of nonviolence in the subtle form. So what I object to, well here, let's contrast. Here we are in Northeast Oregon, and I've been tuned out for four or five weeks, so I haven't been able to keep up with it. But there is a historic court case taking place in Eugene. And it, uh, uh, the spiritual inspiration comes from a book uh, from Mary Christine Wood, uh, Nature's Trust. And also the great climate scientist, James Hansen, have inspired 21 children to sue the federal government, saying that of all things, think of it, that we have to say this to our own government. I think of Ansel Adams. Instantly. 
that we have to fight our own government to save our own environment. Well, that's taking place. It's totally not there. You would have to walk a thousand miles to find anyone out here that knows anything or cares anything about this historic court case. So I don't want to talk about public radio, <laughs> but it's certainly not uh, receiving attention. Why? Because it goes directly against this far more powerful thought form. You can walk into any chip store and beer cooler and hear all you want to hear about it ad infinitum, that the federal government has no right to own land, let alone that these kids have <laughs> the right to sue the federal government. At, um, for a livable environment. Well, uh, what is, uh, forgive the expression, ass backwards and all this conclusionary, you're arguing backwards, and it shouldn't be permitted even in the mathematical, logical sense. You have a conclusion you don't want to give up, like your six-shooter, and you'll do anything to hold on to it, and you nod your hat to uh, democracy and say you're listening to the opponent's argument, but you're not really. All you care about is what you want. And then you come up with these, uh, that ugly expression, cherry-picking arguments. Someone find a better way to say that. So we're using the Constitution. <laughs> well, I'm a bit of a student of the, in the spiritual sense of the Constitution, in the sense of uh, Tommy Jefferson, Jimmy Madison, Tom Paine, George Washington, Ben Franklin, and all the rest of those uh, very enlightened spirits of the time, with all their contradictions and brilliance. Well, what is missing, and if you want to turn that into dialogue, all you have to do is, what's the problem? <laughs> what's the problem? <laughs> Well, if you say the federal government has no right to own land, then you kind of suspect that the problem is, is that you don't have enough land <laughs> and that you want to be able to do whatever you want to do on that land. Well, forget about the term government. I would just suggest there's the individual and there's the collective in the philosophical sense, and then there's our relationship to the land. And then you have this really thorny problem of what I call the ego of freedom. That the ego of freedom only soars when freedom to and freedom from are in ongoing, dynamic, perfect balance. Well, you see, conclusionary rhetoric always goes together, just like the six-shooter, with uh, a false idea of freedom. The six-shooter gives you the feeling, I got the right to do any damn thing I well please. And in civil society out here, uh, we don't quite pull the six-shooter, but uh, well, we're pretty close. But you do it with money and lawyers and, you know, all the rest. But the key thing is money. If you have money, you can do anything you please. So what's the problem? That's where I begin. 
Well, if the conclusionary rhetoric person wants to enter the dialogue, you can take your horse to water, right? But you're not going to make it sit down into the dialogue circle if they don't see that there's a problem. Get the hell out of the way, especially if they have the power and the money. So what would the exact, the main function of the collective, bringing it back to the ego of freedom, where we're sitting, we can actually observe there's a pair of magnificent, and they're fairly young, golden eagles. And just 300 meters, I can see the whole way, this is a beautiful open meadow, tremendously overgrazed in the past 100 years, but especially the past 50, mindlessly so. Nothing but weeds, we can document that, but where, in great detail, and there was a magnificent golden eagle. And it was gyring, spiraling, you know, very low. I said, gee, that's unusual behavior. What's it got? And by golly, it had a snake in its talon. Left. And it was gyring. You always want to watch the direction. Sunwiser, the beautiful old English Wittershins. You hear it if you know your Dutch and German. Wittershins against the sun. Those are very primal concepts. And there it was, it was circling sunwise. Very low. And here was this large snake. We don't know what kind of snake. There aren't any, not yet, rattlesnakes up at this altitude. But they might be moving up. If the metal larks are moving up to this altitude, sagebrush will follow. And where there's sagebrush, there's metal larks. And where there's metal larks and sagebrush, sooner or later you'll have a rattlesnake. So there it was, it was spiraling. And it did it for the longest time. And I suddenly realized that is Greek theater. That's where the idea of the victory ride of the chariot in the Olympian theater comes from. It must come from that. Well, anyway, what is our relationship with the land? What's the problem? Well, that freedom to and freedom from, of that eagle of freedom, now we're speaking metaphorically. The freedom from part is always I'm thinking out loud, protecting the interest of the collective. Freedom from my water pollution if I'm a gold miner. I have the freedom to mine, perhaps. The freedom to cut down that tree. But if it has negative implications, that's ugly speaking, if it has bad things for the wider circle, then it's questioned in a democratic way. We have a right to a livable earth, which means for these 21 children, that they have a right to be free, essentially, from our damn carbon pollution of hydrocarbon man and run away everything. 
from surveillance state to the militarism of empire. They have a right to breathable air. And of course, I'm drawing that circle. The nature's trust for me is the whole of the living land, the whole of the living earth. It has nothing to do with America, but the whole of spaceship earth. Well, now the guys are saying that the Constitution gives the feds no right to own land. They, they need another beer. So it's hard to say whether or not you can get them to put down their guns and conclusions. But democracy depends on it. But if they're not willing to question thought, the divisive nature of thought itself, See, these children, these 21, with all due respect, are still in that circle of ignorance when it comes to thought. That's not a part of the dialogue yet. So I identify with my belief. So if I have the belief that uh, the feds have no right to own land, that makes me self-righteous in my attempts to defend my belief and then I get other cohorts and I build up a thought form, an energy, and then it manifests in all of these very violent forms, militias and Lord knows what else. So I say, what's the problem? The collective, we, we the people, for the people, by the people, needs to protect the land. That's a fact. And the more and the better the protection, the better especially for those 21 children. We have no right to take away a livable environment. So we're sitting here in a magnificent ecotone. It should be a school. But the current affairs and money are very much against us, so Lord knows what will happen here. And we're right on the edge of national force, which is our land, right on the edge of wilderness, which is not only our land, but is given the strongest protection, um, basically available to any land anywhere in the world. And that is a legacy that I very much uh, wish to protect. Chainsaws right on cue. So uh, that's the model. In my view, the more freedom from uh, that chainsaw, it's been amply demonstrated that there needs to be a natural limit to the rapacious greed of thought the much we'll have more of thought, because it's everywhere. Now, for the second problem, the grazing is a way of preventing wildfire. Well, that's presented more in the spirit of dialogue. It's coming close to a theory, it's an idea. Although it's a little bit suspicious because the people who are generally giving it uh, manifest form are the people who have the most to gain from the grazing. 
So self-interest in thought always corrupts, including ourselves, right? So, but we can throw that into the circle. I say, well, gee, well, what is the basic problem? Do we want, it can become a conclusion again, you see, that we want to defend the 100, 120-year-old here anyway tradition of uh, ranching uh, at all costs because it's under threat, not so much attack. There, It's a very, um, should we go into that now? No, we'll stick with the thing that is with wildfire. The problem that they uh, leave out of the dialogue just in the logical sense of debate, which isn't permissible, is the fact that climate change, regardless of what you think, is a much vastly larger circle than just mere grazing. A hotter, drier climate with this great acceleration of the effects of the Anthropocene starting in the 1950s with increased pressure on the land it's just from 1990, there's been a 61% increase of CO2 in the atmosphere. And there's a linear effect by the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere in temperature. So with a hotter, almost linear effect, with a hotter, drier climate, snowpack has decreased by 50% in those 60-some years. And the wildfire season has increased just in the past 30 by two months. It starts a month earlier and ends a month later. Well, those are facts, which are a part of the way of looking, a theory, that we're warming the climate with increased CO2, which has uh, overwhelming, like the theory of gravity, <laughs> scientific evidence behind it. The fire behavior in the area where we're sitting right here, just two years ago, almost two years, I helped with two evacuations from this area. So this forest has been logged over at least twice in the past hundred years. It is in almost every way in very bad shape. And I'm not going to talk about management or control or any of these things, but just speaking for the trees, there's a massive dieback, not just of whitebark pine at the higher altitudes, but we're looking right at them. There are five groves of aspen right here within view. And of course, they could be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. In a mature healthy grove of aspen here has three generations. The matriarchs, I'll just do this very quickly, middle age and the saplings coming up from a common ground, rootstock. So it's really one organism underground and above ground it's three distinct generations. Well, all three generations are dying. Well, that's very hard to understand, but not if we say, well, as is that affected? Well, it could be affected by grazing. But the, by far the dominant thing is the hotter, drier climate. They're very sensitive to especially 
um, moisture in the peak of the growing season, right about now, coming from snow melt. Talk to any firefighter. We've seen fire behavior. That the fire behavior is changing. And in those evacuations two years ago, this whole area could have burned in a matter of seconds. It was so dry and the winds were so fierce. Well, this area already is grazed to death. So I would question the whole, and we're going to be formal theory, that grazing in any way uh, helps uh, uh, what should we say? It's certainly not going to eliminate the increasing danger which is coming. You see, it leads attention in the wrong way. It's saying more of the cause of a problem shall be its solution that we're seeing everywhere, which is typical of conclusionary rhetoric. But as long as the proponents of the grazing theory are willing to dialogue, that is to not debate, not the two-gun model, but the trees have a vote too. And that eagle that was flying, some sort of sign with that snake in his left talon. So there you have it, it's the relationship to the land. It's very interesting, isn't it? So in philosophy, don't forget, it's all about questioning. Legacy is not relevant. The whole ranching thing is not relevant. The whole constitution thing is not relevant. It's about truth. And so we're questioning it. Forget about the Constitution. We want to know what is right collective governance when it comes to freedom from. If we as a collective can protect the commons, the air, the water, the forest, by just saying it's out of bounds to resource development, that the real resource, that's an ugly word, that the real thing that's sacred is the circle. We're going to protect that because that is our children's future. Okay, that's it for now. So I'll let the chainsaw have the last word. Thanks for listening. This is Cliff signing off for picture-poems.com and the circle in the square. Ciao for now.